What's up, coaches? Hopefully you guys are enjoying your summer. A uh, little bit of break. I'm sure you're working out your football players. But other than that, a little time with the family and, and uh, time to learn a little bit more football. So uh, our newest summit, the O-Line Hot Summit, uh, is coming up here at the end of June. You guys can go sign up for free at runthepower.com. You can watch that live uh, for free. As long as you sign up, we'll send you out all the information you need from, uh, through email once you sign up. Also, if you want to go back and watch any of those videos or um, you want to, you missed one, you want to be able to see, you know, all of them, all 18 from high school and college coaches across the country, you can buy the All Access Pass. Our premium members get a uh, premium discount and all other uh, purchases, as it, purchases at this time uh, are as cheap as they'll be. Um, up until the summit starts. Then our price will raise, and when the summit's over, it will raise one more time. So you guys go check that out, as well as all of our premium content on our website, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practice by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send out cards, scout cards, and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawing cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at GoRoute.com. You can email sales at goroute.com or call 866-777-1448. Make sure that you mention to them that Run the Power sent you guys and they will give you, hook you up with some unbelievable discounts. So again, that's goroute.com. This episode is also brought to you by Guardian Caps. Both of our programs, Broken Arrow and Ankeny High School, invested in Guardian Caps this year and we feel they're helping our guys. Uh, They are soft shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice and are used by over 100 colleges and 1,000 high schools. Texas, Clemson, Oklahoma are just a few of the colleges using them. Check out our show notes to see what Coach Lincoln Riley thinks about them at OU and to get some pricing. Uh, They're way more affordable probably than you guys would even think. Uh, Again, that's Guardian Caps, guardiancaps.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Vices. Vices football helmets are different than other helmets on the market. Their design reduces impact forces by yielding in a collision, similar to a car bumper. A concept so unique, the helmet was named one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions of 2017. The Zero One is the top performing helmet for the third year in a row in the NFL. NFL Player Association testing and the Zero One is the highest rated five-star helmet under five pounds in Virginia Tech star helmet ratings. For younger athletes, Vices recently launched the Zero One Youth, highest rated youth football helmet ever tested by Virginia Tech. The Zero One Youth was specifically designed for the speed and impact seen at the youth level. Protect your athletes with the top performing helmets in the game. For more information on Vices technology or to request team pricing or financing options, visit Vices.com on the web. Vices, protect the athlete, elevate the game. On this episode of RTP, we talked to my old ball coach, Rick Jones. Coach Jones is the head coach at Greenwood High School in Greenwood, Arkansas. Listen as we talk with Coach Jones about his coaching stops in college and high school, how he builds his state championship programs and develops coaches, and his offensive system and many innovations 
through his growth mindset. You can follow Coach Jones on Twitter at GWFBCoach. Hope you guys enjoy. lived in uh, southern Oklahoma. We moved around a lot when we were young, and uh, we grew up grew up in Duncan, Oklahoma, there in southern Oklahoma, and uh, played youth football there with the best coach I ever had, uh, Hamer Prestige. He was just a wonderful man. His son, Ty, is still coaching in the Oklahoma City area. He's a good friend of mine, but Coach Prestige was an awesome, awesome man, and I don't think I, – I don't know what I would – done but I he has a huge influence on me to this day he's been gone now for about 15 20 years but he's he's very very special to me and when we were right after ninth grade we moved to Ardmore Oklahoma which is about 45 miles from Duncan and I played high school football there in Ardmore for a coach Herschel Gillum who was a an interesting interesting man <laughs> I, I can't help but just get smile on my face every time I think about Coach Gillum. He, I, I, I've got all kinds of stories about him, and and uh, they're not necessarily all flattering. But I do know deep down he cared about me, and uh, he liked me, and he knew that I was a guy that could take hard coaching. There's no doubt about that. And uh, had some great coaches there. Ronnie Tips, who's coached forever down in the Texas area. He was, uh, I think, most recently the – Athletic director at, at Carroll High School there, South Lake, Texas. Uh, Chuck Williams, uh, rest in peace, who was our line coach and had played at the University of Oklahoma, a guy that I really respected. And Ronnie Johnson was a high school coach there. Ronnie played for OSU at quarterback, and he also played for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And actually, I, I think I mentioned this at the ASCA convention, he actually gave me a playbook for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that I still have. And uh, the head coach was a guy named Jim Spavital, who you guys might find familiar there. Of course, that's Steve's dad, and uh, that's the uh, Jake and Zach's granddaddy. And, wow. Uh, I, uh, I, still, I still remember the quote uh, – Never sacrifice the delivery of a blow for the sake of thinking about assignment or technique. I've never forgotten it. And uh, that was on the first page of the Winnipeg Blue Bomber playbook. And uh, it, it's sort of ironic that, you know, as time goes along, of course, I've known Steve now for, golly, it's probably 35 years. And I uh, got to watch Zach and it got Got to watch Jack, uh, Zach and Jake sort of grow up right there across the road there at Union High School when we were at Broken Arrow and competed against them when they were players. But it's been a it's been a lot of fun. We went to uh, Harding University, which was Harding College at the time. I, w- I was a walk-on. Um, I've told a couple people, but I think it's probably – I didn't really know what a preferred walk-on was until just recently we had a kid that's going to be a preferred walk-on at the University of Arkansas – and uh, after figuring out exactly what a preferred walk-on is, I think I might have the answer. And I think, sort of unique to me, I might be the the world's first NCAA, or at least NAIA, preferred walk-on. Because I remember when I had made the decision to walk on at Harding, basically because no one else wanted me. 
And uh, I remember calling Coach Proc and saying, Coach Proc, uh, I, I'm going to walk on. This is Rick Jones. I'm going to I'm going to walk on at at Harding. And he said, Well, we'd prefer that you don't, but in the event you're dead set on it, we'll take you. And that's sort of the way that's sort of the way that that went. It led to a very stellar career in which I hold another distinction. I, I believe uh, I wrote a blog about it on on our on our website. And I guess I can plug that www.coachrickjones.com, in which I actually, for my first college playing experience, I hitchhiked to the bus station, took a bus to Dallas. My parents picked me up, drove me to Stephenville, Texas. I paid three dollars and fifty cents to get in the game against Tarleton State University. They had an extra suit. I put it on, and in the fourth quarter, we get up twenty-one. And coach. Coach sends me into the game. I don't know that anybody has ever paid to get in the first college game that they ever played. So I I have two distinctions there that I'm I'm quite proud of. I like that one. (laughs) Not very many. I've never heard of anyone else that can top me on that one. I I tend to be a topper when it comes to conversations (laughs) like that. It was a. it was crazy. I, I, I've, you know, we've had guys recruited all over the place. Connor Nolan is, you know, playing quarterback and pitching up the University of Arkansas, and we had Alabama and and all these guys in over the years. Tyler Wilson was here. We had Nick Saban come to Greenwood, Arkansas, to to recruit Tyler. And so, when all these guys get recruited and they they go through all that stuff. They ask me for advice. And I'm, I'm absolutely the worst person in the world. If somebody would give me a, two scrambled eggs once a week, I would have been gone. I would have signed on the dotted line. But I'm there. I think, I think the best thing is, you know, it, it's funny how things work. I, I could not have gone to a better place. Harding, uh, is and was a fantastic place. Coach Proc, our head coach there, was a wonderful, wonderful man. And I've got guys there that uh, people talk loosely these days about brotherhood and all that. But I, there's a dozen guys or more that I know I could call up if I were in jail and had no money that would do whatever it takes. You know, they, they're there when, when the times are tough and they're just like my brothers. We're more like family than we are anything else. We fought like family. We cried like family. We buried each other's loved ones like family. And and we played pretty good football from time to time. So it was a great experience. And after that, I went through the uh, Oklahoma coaching circuit. We started at Dell City with a great coach, Henry Manning. Mm-hmm. Uh, five years there, went to another great head coach, Mike Little, maybe the best coach ever. Uh, over at Putnam City West. Mike's huge, huge influence on my life. And from there, after two years, uh, I went to work for John Lance when he was at Edmond High School. And then a year later, John went to southeastern Oklahoma, and uh, we got lucky and, and got the head coaching job there. And uh, after that, we were there four, four, four years as head coach. Had some um, we only had one high school in Edmond at the time, and it was just fantastic. We had we had great kids and talented kids, and it was a it was a really good run. From there, we went to Tulsa Union. We were there two years, and I got offered a job to coach receivers and running backs at Missouri State, and I wanted to give that deal a shot. And so I just hopped in the car and drove up there, and 
and I did that for three years and then went to Broken Arrow uh, for nine years as a head coach there. And we've been in Greenwood, Arkansas. It's hard to imagine. We've been here 15 years. So that's sort of a long story of a uh, 41-year coaching career, 13-year playing careers. Sort of boiled down into a few minutes there. But <laughs> football is – Football's been a lot of fun, and uh, I wake up every morning. I'm fired up about going to the office. It's a, it's an awesome job. It's fun. It's exciting. It's hard. <laughs> and it's just never it's never easy. You know, you guys, you know how it is. You wake up in the morning, and there you don't know what calamity is going to befall you or some or some young man on your team. It's just the way right. it is when you with numbers we have 116 i would guess you guys what y'all run about 140 right now yeah probably so yeah but you know that's that's just a lot of opportunity for one for kids to mess up <laughs> that's and, exactly uh, right Bad you know, dealing, with, dealing with issues that are just life you know we have you know we have some kids on our team that just have unbelievably horrible family lives and it just you're just trying to keep them on the road. It's like uh, just trying to keep them, you know, keep them out of the ditch and do everything in your power to do that. And it's uh, that's part of what makes it hard, but it also sort of makes it really rewarding. And, you know, kids come back and at least let you have the sense that, that you were an important part of their life. And football, wherever it's been, whether we were Patriots, Eagles, Bulldogs, Bears or or Tigers, it it meant something. There's there's no doubt it did. I remember uh, growing up and and you were at Broken Arrow. I was just a kid and and uh, you know I was going to your football camps when I was in elementary school. Uh, the Broken Arrow little kids camps. Uh, I yeah. remember it it didn't end up the way I wanted it to, but I remember we we had just uh, taken off the wallpaper on our walls at my house. And we were watching the state championship game. That was the first game Broken Arrow had ever been in the state championship. And mom let yep. me write on the walls because we had just taken off wallpaper, about to put new ones on. We, I was writing on the walls the the score of the game to each quarter. I mean, it was that wasn't pretty. You needed to paint that over by the time that was over. <laughs> it was. It got it got painted over pretty quick. <laughs> but but it talk about it, just a big deal. I, that's something I remember. I was you know I couldn't have been very old when when that happened. Uh, and, and I remember yeah. it pretty vividly just because, like you said, football was, still is, but it, it was a big deal. And, um, you know, that was – it was just funny, some of the memories that you have even as a as a young kid that, that evolve around football, um, you know, out on yeah. fourth grade. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Growing up in Duncan, Oklahoma, I can still name Leroy Colbert, Robert Bosley, uh, Smokey Sanders. There's just guys that I can – you know, I can, I can still Bill Watley. I mean, there's still guys. Coach was a guy named Earl Presley. It's just, uh, I remember being a little kid standing at the gate when they walked out of the locker room and just being all. And after the game, we'd ask them for their chin straps, and you know, every once in a while they'd give us a they'd give us their chin strap, and we'd put it up on the wall, and that's just. That's just the way it was. We went to every game, home and away. My dad loved football, not like no other. He he loved football, and uh, it's they're just great memories. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma, tragedy, heartbreak, and you know, I, I look at the Final Four, and you look at you know what Virginia did last night 
and I wasn't rooting for him to win it. But when you consider the fact that in the history of the game, they're the only one to lose to a 16, and they have the guts and the fire and determination to go all the way. And that's just so impressive. I, I'm so impressed with the kind of culture you'd have to have for it for kids to do that. And then you end up playing Gardner-Webb in the first round, and you're down, what, 17 or some crazy thing. And, and to have the kids not just give up the ship, but just have them keep holding on to the rope, all those cliches that we use as coaches. And man, as a coach, as any kind of coach in the world, you got to respect the job that Coach Bennett did and the kind of character those kids have. It was so impressive. Well, Coach, about your coaching style, I think probably what you're most well-known for, and I could be wrong, but what I've heard the most is is your attention to detail. Uh, and just by being at the camps I've been at, I can say uh, just by being around that, I can say that that's probably pretty true. Um, but going with that, is that something that you've, you've made a, a point of emphasis or is that something that is kind of your everyday life? You're a very uh, detail-oriented person. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that's my my nature. Um, I think that maybe I, I, I believe that football is more important than it actually is, so I give it a lot more attention than I probably should. But I just think that there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things, and we try to teach our kids from the third grade on the right way to do things. We have our Fast Dogs program. It was called Fast Tigers back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, over there when we did Broken Arrow and we take third through 12th grade. And, and at the end of the day, we're going to teach them how to listen. You listen with four things. And I try to teach those kids those little things. And you get in a listening position. The listening position is where you have one knee on the ground and two eyes on whoever's speaking. And you listen with two eyes and two ears. And uh, obviously it means that you keep your eyes on the coach. And I would always move around. And, and what I try to do is I say, I'm going to talk to you for 37 seconds. And if everybody will stay in the proper listening position for 37 seconds, you're going to go. But if you don't, if anybody messes up, we're going to do push-ups or get-ups or whatever. And so I'll give a 37-second talk about something, usually about the horrors of growing up in our arch rival town of Alma or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's, I, I just think it's important that you, if it's important, you have to teach them how to do it. We have a certain way that we, we encourage, we encourage with our lips by calling by name. We encourage with our hands by clapping and making noise. We encourage with our feet by moving around and being excited. And I, I just think that, you can say, well, we want to be encouraging. Well, how do you be encouraging? When we stretch, we always have two feet on the line, not in front, not behind, on that four-inch line, and they step forward never backward because bulldogs never go back. So there's little lessons to be learned all along the way, and I think if you teach it that way, when you tell a kid to run a, a five-yard out route, he, he doesn't run a five-and-a-half-yard out route or a four-and-a-half-yard out route. We run our routes at five yards. We teach a lineman to zone block. He steps with the left foot at a 45-degree angle. If you've taught him since he's a third grader how to listen, how to encourage, how to stretch properly, you know, how to do our form running properly and things like that. I, I think it's a lot easier for them to understand that a 45-degree step is a 45-degree step and, and you do things the right way. But I, I've, I've always at least had the mentality, our people that 
our opponents that we play probably don't, but we always we have sort of an underdog mentality here, and we've been able to maintain it just because we're the smallest school in 6A. Uh, we start at 4A and then bumped up to 5A and then bumped up to 6A. And the year that we bumped up to 6A, we were in a, a blended conference. So that we played 7A and 6A schools. We played four 7A schools and three 6A schools. Mm-hmm. And so we we just take the mentality that that we're going to pay extreme, extraordinary attention to the little things, to the little details, and that's part of our edge. And, and uh, I think it's a it's a mentality. It you can take two approaches. You can go in there and say, "Oh, poor us. We're the smallest school in six A. We're playing these seven A monsters." I mean, we're playing. You know, I sort of joke around. We're playing schools that actually have hotels in their town. We don't, <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have a hotel here in Greenwood. We're about ten thousand people, and uh, but it's it's a fantastic place. But the mentality. I think starts in third grade. I, you know, when we were working for Tom Lott doing those youth football camps that you were talking about, there would always be that that talk, you know, at the beginning of practice, we're at the end of practice, we're in the middle of practice where we talk about what it means to be a Tiger and how important it is to do the little things the right way. And I just, I don't know if it's, it's something probably that you learn as you go but i i've always sort of been that way by nature because i at least i consider myself slower smaller and stupider than everybody i was playing against and i had to figure out what the edge was coach man i could sit and listen to, to stories all day um i know i know a couple of guys that that obviously have worked with you uh dub maddox was was the guy that kind of got me rolling in oklahoma and uh and now i work for for rick nelson who you coached with at, at missouri state and obviously they have awesome, awesome things to, to say about you. But, you know, being a, a head coach and you talk about, you know, kind of developing your kids, what's kind of your philosophy on developing other coaches and your staff? Because, you know, your your coaching tree and your coaching roots have, have obviously spread and there's there's been quite the legacy of guys who have, you know, either worked for you or underneath you and they've gone on to do great things as well. And I'm I'm imagining that has a lot to do with kind of, your developmental program for your coaches as well? Well, I've always had the mentality in that they I've never had anybody work for me. Uh, I've had tons of guys. I think I counted the other day, and it's somewhere around 78 guys that have been directly on our staff. I just hmm. – before before we gave the speech in, in down in San Antonio, I, I just sat down and tried to write down every single coach that – that we had coached with, but I, I I had a guy tell me one time and I'll never forget as long as I live because when we first got the job at Edmond, he was, you know, I would say my program and I'd say my team and my offense and my defense and my staff. And, and I think, you know, I wasn't aware of what I was doing, but he called me one Sunday night. We're in there working late. He's a defense coordinator and, you know, we're working on game plans and things. And I just said, and, and he said, can I talk to you honestly about something? And I said, sure. He said, coach, this, this is not your program. He said, they had football before you got here. They'll have football after you're gone. This is our program. And uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. One is that I was so grateful and thankful to this day that he had the guts to just sit down with the boss and say, listen, you might want to consider another approach. 
And, yeah, and you gotta that, have some guts to say that. <laughs> yeah, but but from that day, it, the, the truth is, is that he was exactly right. I mean, good grief, it, it's not. It, it, what we try to do is we try to avoid what we call the vertical pronouns. And I, I just believe that's just so important. We just try not to say I, we try to say we. Or we try to say ours in, instead of my. And, and I just think that it is, it's a mentality that if you, if you sort of get that all the way through the program and everybody understands you're all in it together, it's, it's not any one person. It's not one side of the ball or, or anything like that. And, and, and if you have that, I believe if you have that among the staff, it just spreads among the players because the staff that gets along together, I think you have a lot better chance of having a team that gets along better. And I, I believe strongly in that it's a, it's a mentality that we just try to instill right from the get-go. If, if anything that we do correctly, I would say that everybody in our program has a role and they understand what that role is. And I, one of the things that I've been proud of is that we've had coaches that have gone on to be head coaches. And you mentioned Coach Maddox, one of the best guys ever, just unbelievable teacher of the game of football and unbelievable. You know, um, you know, you run out of adjectives when you run across guys like him. I mean, he's a fine man. He's get getting ready any day, I think, to be a fine father. And uh, you look at how lucky we are to work together with guys like that and have that relationship. And Dub's come over here with the Darren Slack camp now for about the last 14 years, and it's one of the highlights of, of our – of our year and that we get a lot of these guys coming in and we get to learn as it, as it goes and just trying to create an atmosphere that people are constantly trying to get better. We're not satisfied. We're not resting on our laurels. We're going to go in every day and try to get better. And that's, that's really what I believe is important. But I think for staff continuity is that everybody knows what they're supposed to do. We try to have it on paper. We try to write it down, every single thing they're responsible for, so you take away as much gray area as possible so that people understand their role, they understand how we're going to do things. We spend, anytime we go into a new program, it's about a two-week orientation period in which we talk about how to coach because what you coach is not ever as important as how you coach. You know, there's a ton of great offenses and defenses and special team approaches. I, I think the real secret sauce is how you do it. How do you talk kids? How do you implement uh, your rules and, and your ideas and, and what you believe in? And, your, and how do you install, uh, you know, culture? I even hate to say the word culture. <laughs> because it's so overused and so overblown and people talk about culture this, culture that, culture this, culture that. Well, I'll tell you, you know, if somebody says what's culture, I say, I'll tell you what culture is. Culture is being the first number one seed in the history of NCAA basketball, losing the first round and come back the next year and win the whole thing. That's culture. Um, culture is is the broken arrow tigers going out there and finally getting it done after you know after all these years of 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 coming up short and it just it, it's so important and i think that's the thing you i remember when we started coaching at bell city those doggone midwest city bombers were tough now yes. i mean they were tough they were everybody's 
biggest game of the year. You know, you go to Putnam West, say, who's your biggest rival? Well, they'd say Putnam City, but it was, in a lot of ways, it was those doggone guys of Midwest City. Of course, Dell City, that was a no-brainer. But when we were at Edmond, you know, the team we liked beating more than anybody was Midwest City Bombers. When I was a young boy growing up in Duncan, Oklahoma, in the ninth grade, I got a letter from Coach Earl Presley, the head coach of the Duncan Demons, saying, this is the year we're going to beat the Midwest City Bombers. <laughs> they had opened up for about eight years in a row, and they had gotten their nose bloody eight years in a row. And I remember getting that letter in the summer right before we moved, and they still didn't get the Bombers beaten. But, you know, you look back at culture, and we just throw that word around. And my question is, do anybody – that says that word, okay, what is culture? What does it mean to you? What does it look like? If I go into your locker room, uh, I can get a pretty doggone good feel for what your culture's like by how your kids treat each other, how the coaches treat the kids, and how the kids treat the coaches. That's a pretty good thermometer of exactly how your culture is. I think culture boils down to a very simple process. How do you treat each other? And and I I think it goes from there. You can work hard, you can have all the X's and O's, I's dotted, T's crossed and all that. But if your coaches aren't concerned and care about and love your kids and and that love and respect is not returned by the players, then I think you you have issues. But it's it's a daily process and I know Nick Saban loves that word that's another word that's getting totally worn out <laughs> but we consider the process to be the daily approach that we take to doing what we do it's it's yeah we we have one goal in our program and that's win today that's sort of a takeoff from what Chip Kelly talks about win that day but we're going to try to do the best we can today we're not worried about Week one, we're not worried about week 14. We're worried about going into that off season and doing the very best we can and, and make it a daily approach. And that's what I consider to be the process that everybody's so fond of of talking about. Coach, after those those first few champ, state championships you've won, uh, you know, I kind of talked to – I've talked to coaches before and they say, you know, I thought it was going to be like this to win a state championship, then I won one or two or three, and then now it, it's it's a different – my whole mindset's a little bit different. And then, uh, obviously, we finally, like you said, after 100 and something years, won one at Broken Arrow, and, and I thought maybe the next couple of days I was going to feel like a different person, and I woke up and felt like the same person, and a week later – uh, I was thinking about the 2019 season. Uh, so, uh, did did you ever come to any uh, any big epiphanies or any big uh, changes <laughs> or anything with you after those first few state championships of, of mindset, even behind everything? You know, that's that's really that's really funny that that you ask that question because there is a there, there's a there's sort of a funny process that takes place you you finally get to that mountain and you get to the top of the mountain and there is a certain thought of what in the world are we going to do now <laughs> um, and, and I our philosophy has always been that we at least want to walk across the field and shake hands with the opposing opposing coach before we start thinking about next week but I I mean is I think it's a sickness that maybe we have and that we get behind the – I remember I was driving home from the first one that we won there when I was at uh, Edmond in 1989, and it was just 
the most sweet feeling in the world. I mean, you could not stop smiling. It's a great feeling that never goes away. But I was fighting with myself trying to think about who in the heck's going to play quarterback next year. Oh, my. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm beating, you know, I'm just saying that that's stupid. You know, it's, they'd never won one at Edmond either in, in their history. And I'm trying, I'm fighting with myself because it's just hard to say, oh my goodness, we got, you know, we got the tailbacks coming back. And he was a pretty good one, a kid named Shea Foster. He ended up signing with Michigan. But who in the world is going to hand it off to, you know? And I, I just think that's, I think that's really the, that's the way that it should be because I've worked with people that had won it and after they won it, they sort of figured out they had it all figured out and they never changed. They never adjusted. They coached exactly the way they did back when. Mm. And I I just know that that's the wrong approach. Mm. We go in, uh, win or lose the last game and we're going to go in that next Monday. We'll really, we might take a week or two and then go in and say, okay, what do we need to do to get better? What do we need to do to improve? What, how do we get our off season program, uh, it to get better? How do we have our kids? How do we train our kids better? What are some coaches that we can go talk to or some programs we can visit that are going to make us better? And there's a, a constant quest to get better. We've coached 41 years. We still don't have it figured out. We got a long way to go, and uh, we've got to find ways to get better. And, and you, you can break your arm, pat yourself on the back. And I think it's just the. And like I saw, I, I saw that approach up close, and personal, with uh, a program that had gotten it done, and they thought that, well, we've gotten it done by doing it this way, and so we're never changing. We're going to stay exactly the way that we're going to be. I've always likened it to the guy that owned the buggy company when Henry Ford came along. He just pounds on the table at the board meeting. As long as we make great buggies, we don't have to worry about this Ford fella. And I just (laughs) think that's the way we are sometimes as coaches. Oh, we got it figured out now. We want it with this. You know, we want it with this recipe, and we follow that recipe for the rest of our coaching career, and we expect – and here's the, here's the real issue. If you follow that recipe for the rest of your coaching career, then it's never your fault. Um, it's always the kid's fault. It's always the, the staff's fault because the kids and the staff change, but what doesn't change is the head coach and his plan. And and I think that's a real, real danger. Um, huh. You, you get to the top, and now you think, I've got it figured out. And then you never have to accept blame for anything that happens after that for the rest of your life. And that while that sounds ridiculous, I would bet anybody that's coached for over 20 years, Nelly, would, Nelly could probably name you two or three guys, you know, <laughs> as long as Nelly's been around. And, and I could name some. I'm not going to do it just because it's a negative factor. But you – we're just not going to be that way. We're we're going to unturn every stone. We're going to look in every nook and every crane. We went down to uh, Central Texas over spring break. I was there on uh, my second business, which is uh, I'm, I'm a professional disc golf caddy. And there's some <laughs> stories there. But that's, that's another thing. I, I'm trying to get along on a 10% of the disc professional disc golf golfers wages <laughs> and I, I, 
I'm having a hard time getting by on five dollars eighty cents. That's that's the problem. But my my son's a professional disc golfer, so I, I get to go watch him. But I, I, I say all that to say this: when we're down there, I'm in Waco, Texas, for Pete's sake, and uh, I call up a buddy and I say, "Hey, can I come watch practice?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, come on." Uh, so we go to practice at six a.m. and I go scrolling out of there about eight p.m. that night. You know, it's just gosh, it was. What a fantastic day. I got to spend the entire day with George DeLeon. Can you imagine? I mean, it's like Christmas. It's like waking up when you're a little boy and there's a hundred packages around the tree with your name on it to get to spend time with a coach like George DeLeon. He's one of the my great heroes as a former offensive line coach. But, that I mean, the week before we'd gone to Oklahoma State for two days, and and we'd gone to Oklahoma for two days, and just we're trying to figure some things out. We're trying to figure out how to make the puzzle uh, fit wherever all the pieces are in the right place, and it's exciting and it's fun. And I I, got, I saw a play. I'm watching cutups at Norman uh, there at OU, and they're running an offensive scheme I've never seen before. I've just never seen it before. Now, it's a, you've seen it before because I know this is called run the power, but it's about half power, half counter. And uh, if you watch OU, you sort of see them do it because they'll lead with the back and then they'll, you know, they'll they'll swab with the tackle or they'll kick with the guard and swab with the tackle like the OGT, and they – they just switch it up the way that they handle that so that the defensive end, if he's wrong shoulder and they have an answer, if he's not wrong shoulder and they have an answer, they have different ways to do it. But that's good grief. That's exciting stuff. That's a lot of fun. Just sort of dig down into it and watch those guys do what they do. Yeah, I got to go to uh, Bigsby in there uh, and beaten ball. Their offensive line coach came in and did a whole presentation over counter. And then uh, he, he never really got into it, but he did uh, talk a little bit about their their GT counter where they base the front side uh, instead of doubling them. So like you said, and kind of have a few answers for that end, especially if he wants to, to cut the guard that's kicking him out. And it was, it was pretty interesting stuff. And I think they said they had like 11 yards of carry off of it or something. So uh, it, it was really fun listening to him. Tell you, I watched the cutups there and they, no, you, I mean, they've got five angles. I've, and I've never seen, I've never seen the, they had they had the end zone from one side, end zone from the other side, and then they had sort of a middle uh, area <laughs> where it was somewhat wide from both sides, and it was it was fantastic. I mean, it was I've never seen that angle. It was it was really really unique. But I'll tell you this about Coach Bedenbaugh, that brother can coach his tail off. I watched, and I mean, his linemen are good. They're good athletes, and I get that. They're good. There's three of them probably going to get drafted, and the center's probably better than those three. But when they step, I mean, a chorus line on Broadway could not do it any better than those guys do it. They are, they are it's like a thing of beauty. For an old offensive line coach, I don't, the only thing that it reminded me of was when Milt Tenniper was at Nebraska, and I'd watch Remington and Stein Cooler and those guys and you could watch their film and you know coach would say well we step at a 45 degree angle we put our right hand on their on the near number and I mean you could watch the film and normally when you watch film when they watch our film we can say it but you don't see it on the film. that's what our 
that's what the goal is. We don't quite re- – but, I mean, at Nebraska in those days with Coach Jennifer, you could watch them, and it was just like he said it was. And, and I watched Coach Biedenball's line the, those two days we were in Norman, and it was unbelievable how good those guys are and how well coached they are. He obviously does a, a tremendous job. Coach, that is one of the the cool things about working for a guy like Nelly is, I mean, he he's the same way. He's he's constantly sending you things about clinics and hey, there's a, a weight training guy. He's going to he's going to see a guy at UNI this weekend on Friday. It's like he's like the Greek national weightlifting coach, and Jed got there him. You go. So he's like, I'm going to listen to this Greek weightlifting coach. Apparently, he's like one of the best guys in the world. But I mean. I, I think that's so true. I mean, I would think that it would get so boring and so stale if, if all you did was the exact same thing literally for the rest of your coaching career, let alone your life. I mean, I, I think it, it, you've said it a few times. It's exciting. It's fun. It's cool to go see what, what some of these other people are doing. And it, and it really just, I think, re-energizes you as a creative thinker and, and especially you being kind of a play caller and an offensive guy. I think that juice is kind of what, keeps it rolling too would you say well oh there there's no doubt and and the thing is any like i sit down and watch oklahoma cutouts and i don't know what in the world they're doing i mean and i i it's like i say they sort of blended the counter and the power and, and i mean it isn't like it's you know nuclear physics or anything like that you know i don't need neil deGrasse tyson to sort of interpret it but it's, it's uh it's a real fun thing to see. Oh my goodness! And, it, and, and you use the word creative, and I, I, I realized early in the coaching career is that um, I'm not very creative. It's like saying, you know, some offensive mind like Dub Maddox has a creative offensive mind, and and Dub and I are both coaches, so it'd be like saying, you know, I, I always sort of liken it to, okay. You know, Picasso and the guy that paints the barn are both painters. But, you know, there's a lot of difference. And I'm sort of a barn painter. I just, I try to paint the barn and, uh, and, and just, and I copy. I'm a pretty good copier. I think that's probably, if, I think that there's two great characteristics. If I have any, and I'm not saying I do, but I would think I have one is I'm a good copier and two, I'm almost unembarrassable. And uh, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid. You know, I've, Abraham Lincoln said it's better to remain silent and have people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I've never believed that. And I love Abraham Lincoln. But I, I know I've made a fool of myself many, many times. And I'm going to ask anybody, anything, anywhere, if it's appropriate time. Now, I'm not going to try to infringe on somebody's time uh, in, in an inappropriate way. But. It's like George DeLeon two weeks ago. Was just, I just had time to sit there, and, I mean, I just hammered the guy. I mean, I, he's one of my heroes. He's coached 50 years. He has prostate cancer. He got run over on the sideline last spring and broke his pelvis. And he's coaching in a chair and a, with a cane, and he's just coaching the fire out of him. And the kids will come back to him and, and just listen to him with his wisdom and and those are my heroes, just guys like that. And it, it is fun. I, I, there are great coaches, and don't and everybody that's listening to this knows that guy that's run the doggone wing tee for 37 years, 
and he does it the right way. He knows every nook and cranny. He knows every trick. He knows every scheme. And he does a fantastic job, and he's won year after year after year. I mean, shoot, Gordon Wood. I I don't know a whole lot about Gordon Wood, but I know he ran he ran the wing tee for the entirety of his career, and that's one way to do it. And I'm not being critical of that, but it, with my with my mentality, it would I just like the word you use was bored. I would just go crazy. I, we go in on Saturdays. And our offensive coordinator is just shaking his head because he knows I've seen something on TV that we're ready to throw out there and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Coach, we, unless you want us to practice for eight hours, you're gonna have, we're going to have to slim this down a little bit. And I say, I get it, I get it. But it's, it is, it's fun to put new stuff in. And I mean, sometimes to a fault. But it's, uh, it's exciting to see something that sort of happens either with your eyes or your brain, and then you put it on the board and you discuss it, and then you explain it to the kids, and you might walk through it, and you go out there and do it against bags, and then you go out there and do it in thud tempo, and then you go out on Friday night, and you execute it, and it works. It just it's one of the great joys in life. I mean, it is a fantastic feeling to uh, you know, go from inception all the way to execution of the football play the right way. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It never gets old. That's, that's the thing. It just never gets old. Coach at, at Broken Arrow, kind of talking scheme barely, but at, at Broken Arrow, uh, you know, we go back and I look at the record books and, and uh, the teams that you were a part of when you were here, um, there's several of them that they hold almost every passing record. I think that there is uh, in Broken Arrow. Uh, but that had to have been, you know, like, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, so it, it, that, was that, was that before it's time? I mean, was that, uh, was that kind of the only thing or at least around this area that were you guys the only ones uh, with that type of an offense or, um, or, you know, was it just, uh, was it more, uh, a lot of teams were doing it? No, there, there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of teams doing it, you know, they say that necessity is the mother of invention and we were about to get fired and uh, running the flex bones. And I was, I was watching TV one night and Michigan played Northwestern in the years 2000. And, uh, and I'm sitting there watching Northwestern just, they didn't beat their brains in, but they beat them like 38 to 35. And I'm saying how in the world can Northwestern ever beat Michigan it just seems it's so improbable with the you know if you look at the yeah. history of those two programs and then they they talked they did it one of those little minute interludes in which they talked about what they called the GPP and it was a uh, general physical performance is what that stands for but they were running this shotgun no hole fast-paced uh, offense and it looked you know coach like when that tailback ran the zone that the quarterback was actually reading the end how could that happen I'd never seen the zone read before it's the first time I ever saw it and uh, we're running the flex bone like I say we're about to get fired and uh, I remember going into the office Sunday morning and I said it's too late now but I I've seen the future. <laughs> I remember saying something to that effect. I've seen the future. I've seen what we're going to do. And, and and there were two phases of it that I thought really fit us. 
at Broken Arrow, and that is one is that we control our conditioning. We don't control our size and speed. We don't control how many Division One athletes we have, but we control our conditioning, and we can train our kids to do that. And uh, and then we spread it out. And there weren't a whole lot of people doing that. And the crazy thing is, we had a little guy named Nick Majors. Mm-hmm. He's about five foot nine, 150 pounds. And he had, but he is nothing but guts. I mean, he was just tough as nails. And, and we, uh, when the season was over, we did something really pretty good, I think. And that is we brought in the assistant strength coach from Northwest Northwestern to teach us the GPP. And we figured if we're going to run this no huddle, fast paced offense, that we're going to have to change the way that we train our kids. And, and, and since uh, we've been a strength coach in the past, I sort of tied that all together and that, that was sort of a blind luck, but it was, we were so excited to get started. We brought the Northwestern guy in coach Christian, he's assistant strength coach and taught us the GPP. We immediately instituted the GPP. We told our kids, Hey, we're going to play faster than anybody in America. We're going to snap the ball. And I mean, you hear that all the time now, but you didn't hear it a lot then. And, uh, we, we put the offense in, we went down and, uh, visited in Dallas um, with the Northwestern's offensive coordinator, who uh, Coach Wilson, who eventually ended up at OU, which is really fortunate for us. And we basically just put in the Northwestern offense, which had been put in by Northwestern after visiting with Clemson hmm. when Rich Rod was the offensive coordinator at Clemson. So it was sort of the Rich Rodriguez version of the spread and not the Hal Mummy version of the spread and we had Mick who was just Mick was fantastic I mean we went from throwing for like 890 yards to uh, over 3,000 in the first year that we did it and we had some great great kids I mean go through there if I name them I'm going to leave somebody off but just some fantastic kids and, and yes. Mick was really the gave us a good start on that because he could throw it pretty well and he could run it pretty well, but he was just tough and determined and full of guts and competitiveness. And uh, it, it went, it was really, really awesome for us. And, and I, I just thought it was a perfect fit. And the, and the truth is, is that running the zone read is not a huge jump. There wasn't a huge segue to make between doing what we were doing in the flex bone other than throwing the ball, which I know is a big one. <laughs> but we <laughs> yeah. knew how we knew how to block on the perimeter and we knew how how to read pull and pitch. And so we had at least two of the big things down already when we went into it. And then we just started a program trying to develop our quarterbacks and Daniel Ford came in Mm-hmm. And uh, helped coach, you know, he coached quarterbacks and did a fantastic job. We had Trini Birch with the offensive line. We hired Dub out of college, coached wide receivers. I mean, we had a great, great staff of guys and just it, it was a lot of fun. And we, it was a little bit different than what everybody else was doing. And uh, that sort of made it, made it good. And that's, that was one of the things that I think really, really helped us because we had some good success running that spread, hurry-up deal there. And the second year, uh, we went to uh, – we got to know Gus Malzon over at Springdale, and we added some things that, that Gus had been doing over in Springdale, which 
obviously Gus knew exactly what he was doing. But <laughs> becoming, becoming friends with Gus and and uh, and using you know guys like Coach Wilson and and some other guys that were sort of in that that area of the spread offense. It was it was a lot of fun just digging that up. It's just fun. We went in literally, Coach, and we we. We had our plays up on the on the whiteboard there in the office there in Broken Arrow, and we uh-huh. just I just took an eraser and erased it. <laughs> and I said we're gonna start from scratch, and if if it's better to do to call things the way that we're calling it, then we will. But if it isn't, we're gonna learn a new system. And and I think Daniel had a lot of those ideas, and I think he and Trandy sort of got together and along with Dub and sort of worked out how we were going to use terminology. And, and to be honest, it's what, 20 years later, we're still using a very, very, I mean, those guys that we coached with could come to Greenwood and recognize pretty well what we're doing in, in terms of terminology. You know, the RPO has been a big development and we do a lot of that stuff, but it, in terms of terminology and the basic approach, we just, it's still very, very heavily based upon what we started with there in 2000, with the first season being 2001. Coach, how, how simple was it for you guys to kind of transition into some of more of the RPO, knowing that you kind of have that option background, you know, from some of the, the Missouri State days and then your flex bone day? How, how has that kind of helped you maybe, you know, transition a little bit better? Because I would say – you know, you, you guys do as good a job with it as anybody as I've seen, you know, with the key screens and, and RPO stuff. Well, I think I think the big thing is is that everybody wants to get to, to the to the sexy part. Everybody wants to run through the main course and get to the dessert. And really the nuts and bolts of what we do is is blocking on the perimeter. I mean, if you just Amen. boil it down if success or failure, it boils down to our guys on the perimeter blocking their guys on the perimeter. And if you can get to a point where you can outnumber them, then you have a chance. And that sort of approach that we take with our RPO game, and, and technically we have RPOs and then we have uh, PROs, which are sort of pass run options as opposed to run pass options. And, and you know, we'll have a side where it's a it's a pre-snap read side, and then we'll have a post-snap read side. So, uh, but understanding perimeter blocking, uh, something that we learned in 2001, the first day we put the offense in, is that uh, we block outside shoulder on every play hmm. with our wide receivers, and that's unique to some and. Uh, there's quite a few, I think, that probably do it that way. But in our offense, you never know. You know, you never know where that ball's going to be because you might get a pull. And I think that it has helped stretch the field for us. It's helped everybody. It's helped the runners with the, the guys that have the ball in their arm know exactly where their blockers are going to go so that we, we know. If they're two yards from the sideline, then we're going to kick them. Other than that, we're attacking the outside shoulder, and it, I think overall it's made us very, very consistent blocking on the on the edges. And the other deal is that we teach our wide receivers to block just like you teach your guards, tackles, and center to block. You know, it's it's thumbs up, elbows in, head back. You know, wide base, move your feet, attack the outside shoulder, and uh, 
shuffle and stay in position. And that's – we'd sort of coach those guys like offensive linemen. We go out and do what we call stop drill in practice, 10 minutes, which is basically good against good. And it's a it's about 95% live. And, and our guys have to develop a mentality. And that's why – we we do a pretty good job running the hitch screens and, and the RPO stuff with the bubbles and, and the, the hitches and, and the slant bubbles and things like that that we've been able to run over the years. Coach, I couldn't agree more. I mean, again, if, if there's no threat of you being able to, you know, throw a screen or throw the short pass and be able to effectively hurt people, again, there's there's not going to be any worry for now, you know, the, the, pumps, the pump shots off of it or throwing the slant in behind it when they know you can't block anybody, what does it really matter? So I think you make a great point. I think that we try to set everything up where we have a run. We just, we can, in our system, we can just call runs. We will run inside zone. We just call inside zone. If we want RPO the inside zone, we can RPO the inside zone. And then if we can do what we call pop off the inside zone, that means we can run an RPO with the vertical, uh, you know, a stalk vertical type deal so we can do the run we can do the rpo we can do the shot uh, off every run that we have and i think that's something that's really really important in, in the offense and that you get people they have to overcommit to, if you do a good job with the little stuff then that opens up sometimes the big stuff you know the stalking goes and the the tunneling goes and all those things that uh is 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 an accessory to, to what your base offense is. And it's like you say, if you're no good running the hitch screen, then faking hitch screen going deep doesn't do much for you. I, I think, you know, Coach, one of the most impressive parts to me when we go to the camp every year is um, seeing how big your offensive line is and not necessarily like uh, all 6'5", 300 pounds, but uh, for the most part, uh, you know, five or seven guys that are – you know, you can tell have really hit the weight room hard. Is that something that you guys are, uh, you know, is a um, obviously a, a big deal at your school? Because uh, even compared to some of the – a lot of the Oklahoma teams, but comparing them to uh, a lot of the Arkansas teams that we see, uh, they seem to be a, a lot more developed physically uh, than, than some of the other teams that we see at some of those camps. Well, I, I appreciate that. We we've not had when we got here. We just did not have our strongest kid. Bitch, two hundred and sixty pounds. Jeez, that was our strongest kids. We had three kids at BA that could bitch four hundred, and it was a shock. I mean, it was really a shock to sort of see just how weak we were. And, and to be honest, we're not a big powerlifting team. Uh, we we two years ago we won the state powerlifting meet here in Arkansas and last year we finished second but that was really more because we just had a great run of kids that were just yeah you know, we had a kid that power cleaned 415 pounds at the state powerlifting meet I mean he's a beast and uh, but we we really stress movement we want to be able to move we want we want guys that can bend and adjust and, and, and play the game of football and, and not just, you know, being flexible guys out there. Our, our old line, we've been lucky because we've gotten bigger as we sort of gone along. And we obviously we're trying to get as big and, and strong as we can, but we're not spending hours and hours in the weight room, but we are spending about the same amount of time in movement drills as we are in, in the weight room. And our, I mean, our line last year, you know, we had some decent-sized kids 
We had one kid that's about 270, but the rest of them are around six foot tall, about 235, and they can move pretty well. And that's the thing is that if we can move and we can cover people up, then, then we have a chance. And, and it's it's possible with the guys we have this year, we're going to have a pretty good-sized group of guys again this year. But it's it varies from, from year to year. And we're really, like I said, we're trying to get guys that can move and uh, guys that can bend. All those those words that old line guys use. We need guys <laughs> that can right. bend. We need guys that can move their feet and stay in front of somebody for about two point two seconds. Because for most of our passing games, it's it's a it's about a two point two two point four is about as long as we ever hold the ball. That's one of the reasons we don't do uh, we don't do a lot of seven on seven stuff because it you know we have a four second rule or something <laughs> like that. It just, for us, that's just like what in the world. If, if they, if you can fast block four seconds, coach, we can beat anybody. And I, we don't have a lot of guys that can pass block for four seconds. And it's, I'm not against it. Don't I don't don't sure. take that wrong. But it, it's uh, we're going to get rid of the ball fairly quickly, if at all possible. And about two 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 four is is going to be typical uh, of the longest that we'll squeeze that ball. And so we have more mobile guys that can get in front and and move their feet and stay covered up. And we're primarily a zone team. I, I told people that our, our best plays outside zone and they watched on film. They said, that's not the outside zone. And <laughs> I think they call it the mid zone. So we we're our best plays probably the mid zone because we, we chase the tackles, but in uh, with the back, you know, instead of trying to run it flat, like, you know, Oregon's probably the best example. The old Chip Kelly, you know, wide uh, outside zone play. We don't do that. We're more of a mid-zone, inside-zone team. We run a little bit of counter as well. Coach, and you know, being the head coach and, and primarily on the offensive side, what's kind of your defensive philosophy then, you know, being a team that, that's going to go pretty <laughs> fast and, and score some points? You know, what, what do you tell your, your defense – you know, make sure you guys are lined up right, not give up big plays. What What's kind of your philosophy that way? You know, it, it's funny that that's that's exactly the approach that we've taken for about 11 years here. <laughs> you know, hey, don't get beat deep, make them drive the ball. And, and I've I've discovered, and, and our, our defensive guys do a fantastic job, and, and they have to understand that if, if if you're on the defensive side of this offense, your statistics may not look all that great from time to time because we we want to play a a 12 to 14 16 play a possession game. We want things to happen in a hurry. And what we tend to do more now than we've ever done is we we're going to take chances. We're going to undercut when we can undercut. We're going to try to you know make them throw it over the top. And uh, we're going to take more chances on defense because I think the worst thing that can happen to us offensively is to not be out on the field. Now, I'm not saying you just don't cover anybody and you let them run, you know, wildly so they can score, you can get the ball back. But we're going to take more chances. We're going to try to create more turnovers. We're going try to try to create some bad plays. And sometimes the risk-reward, comes back to bite you from time to time but we're a lot more aggressive defensively we don't do a whole lot of blitzing but we're gonna uh we're just gonna have a philosophy we're gonna try to make stuff happen and they're gonna try to get the ball back for us and i think that's one of the biggest things and you just got to have the stomach for it 
I think that's I think that's a, a huge part of the mentality that our defensive guys have done such a great job. They're 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 not going to sit back on their heels and, and play that you know play that slow grinded out kind of game because that just that really kills momentum for our offense and and the more you read about Bill Belichick, I just finished. I finished several months ago the book Gridiron Genius that I love by Michael Lombardi. But if Belichick does, I mean, he does a ton of things right. But I think one thing that he figures out is how do we win? <laughs> it sounds so simple, but what what he does such a great job is how does he blend his kicking game, his offensive philosophy, his defensive philosophy into winning football games? And, you know, it's called complementary football, in that your offense complements your defense, it complements your kicking game, it complements your defense. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the triangle. And it's, I think the really, really great coaches uh, have figured out how to play complementary football. They figure out what their offense needs to do to help their defense, what their defense needs to do to help their offense, and, and kicking games all in the mix as well. And that's those are not easy questions. Those are not easy things to do. And it's just easy if you have an offense mentality, say, ah, oh, don't, don't get beat deep and, you know, get the ball back, you know, and you sort of go through that. But I, I think complimentary football is, is a term that I not really familiar with, but I mean, if I look back over 41 years, uh, we need to try to figure that out. <laughs> you know, what do we need to do offensively to help, our defense and vice versa along with the kicking games. When I was at Houston, uh, David, or I think it was David, but Coach Gibbs, the defensive coordinator, uh, he was the first one to kind of do that flip as a defensive guy. So my first whatever two or three years there, it was all keep everyone in front of you, let the offense score, blah, blah, blah. But then Gibbs got there, and his whole thing was, hey, if your offense is supposed to be this good, if we get you two or three turnovers, that's two or three more possessions than them, we should win every game. And so they went into That's it right. uh, with, with that idea, and, and they did an unbelievable job of getting turnovers. And I think his defense has been top turnovers in the nation, you know, the past five or six years. But um, that was kind of his whole philosophy. Hey, we get you the ball two or three more times. If you're as good as you say you are on offense, then we should win it every time. That, I think that's a big part of it. And, and, and the main thing, you know, the thing you got to understand is, is are you really that good on offense? And the head coach <laughs> that's right. That. <laughs> and, and I mean that it sounds simplistic but that's really right I think about it, I'm, I'm buddies with Kevin Kelly there at Pulaski Academy the guy that never punts onside kicks every time and doesn't wear shoes when it rains I found that out at the camp there, no, yeah he, he's not worried about that <laughs> you know that's just that's Kevin I love him to death but he thinks outside the box and that's that's a cliche that I don't really like all that well either but he he has a different way. He has a different way of looking at it, and that's why I love to talk to him because he's taught me so much about a different way to look at what I've thought about, you know, my whole life as, as a football coach. He gives you a different way to think about it. When his kids, when he goes for it on fourth down and doesn't make it, which isn't all that often, um, his defense isn't heartbroken. <laughs> you know, they're right. not crushed. They're spirit, they're not demoralized. That's they're used to it. Hey, that's what that's what's going to happen. You know, sometimes they don't get it. And you're going to have good field position. You're going to try to get a stop. And and I think that's the thing, you know, with him and in, in that 
he, he's geared up the mentality and his fans aren't going crazy. You know, it isn't like his fans are up there saying, oh, what's he doing? You know, <laughs> if we go forward on fourth and one at midfield and we get it, then everybody's happy. If we punt, then coach has no guts. And if we get stuff, coach is an idiot. Everybody in the world knows you should have punted. You know, that's just the way it is. And uh, you got to make those decisions. It gives your chance, you know, your team's best chance to win. When we played Coach Kelly, we played four times, two and two. If we recover 100% the onside kicks, we win. If we can, if we don't, we lose. It's a real simple concept. Our philosophy when we play him is that normally they get about 500 yards in the first half and they cramp in the second half and we come back on them. That's just that's just the way it goes. <laughs> Coach, uh, we had Coach Shenander on too, and, and he was used to, to coaching at Oregon with, with Chip and then, you know, now with, with Coach Frost. And he, he'd said one of the ways he got guys to buy in on defense too is he's like, hey, you're going you're gonna to play a game and a half uh, every game on defense. So he, he looked at it from the college standpoint was there's going to be six to eight defensive linemen that play a lot. There's going to be yeah. four, you know, four, lineback- four inside linebackers play. You guys are all the starters, you know six guys in the secondary are going to play. So when we have all this depth, he's like, you guys are going to get a chance to actually play more and, and younger players are going to have a chance to get on the field too. And he's like, that's how you sold it. And all the guys are like, oh, this is cool. I get to play more defense. We're going to try to wreak havoc and, and cause sacks and cause fumbles and practice turnovers. And when we do get picks, you know, we're going to go hit the quarterback. I mean, he had all kinds of cool ways that he could sell it to him. And it's like, you know what? We didn't worry about stats like yards and points given up. It was – all those havoc plays that they talk about. Oh, that's brilliant. That's you know, that's the thing about coaches. We got we have to be salesmen. We gotta sell what we believe. And I think that's I think that's one thing. I, I think the difficulty that Coach Kelly got in in the NFL you only have a set number of snaps. And a and a player only has I mean a player only has a set number of snaps, you know, and that try mm-hmm. to sell the fact that we're gonna snap more times then the guys that are playing that you're playing across from or down the road or in the next town or whatever, you know, you talk about longevity when you consider what one more year of an NFL career can mean to a guy's finances, that probably makes it a, in a harder sale. And, and that's something I was curious about when he went because for, for kids that love to play, I mean, we love playing fast. I mean, we just love it. Our kids love it. They enjoy it. Like you say, they get more snaps. They get more opportunity. And we're the same way. We're trying to find guys to play. You know, we're trying to get six DBs. We're trying to get six defensive linemen so that we can, you know, play as many guys as we can, stay fresh, and play fast. Well, Coach, uh, coming up on an hour, uh, but, the, but the last question I always like to ask everybody uh, is when you're watching someone else's offensive line, uh, what's some things their offensive line would be doing uh, to make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Well, I, I think it's pad level. I think that's one of the things that, as an old offensive line coach, when I see somebody that has great pad level all the way across, when I see guys that are stepping with the correct foot, taking good angles, uh, when they have good sets, good pass sets, and they know how to handle pressure and and how they pick up twists and blitzes and things like that. Those are the kind of things that I look at when I watch uh, opposing offensive lines. And you, you know, there are some of those that you say, "Ooh, these boys are they're they're subject to getting tricked." And then there are others who say, "Ooh, these guys they know what they're doing." But I think 
the number one thing that I'm going to look at as an offensive line coach is I'm going to look at pad low. You know, where, you know, they flat backed or they do they have a good broad base or they move their feet on contact and things like that. Coach, man, it's been a blast. I, I love having you on, and, and I'll make sure I, I tell Nelly and, and his son, they, they both wanted to say hi. I'll make sure uh, you said what's up to them. They, uh, they miss hanging out with you and miss seeing you. Hopefully they, they get to, to, to meet up with you soon, man. Now, is that Nick that's coaching with, with Nelly? Is it yep. Nick? Yep, Nick's, okay. the, the, Nick's the D coordinator. He's doing a heck of a job. <laughs> Nick was barely out of diapers when we were working together. That's, that's awesome to hear. I, I've seen that. I've seen pictures of it. But Coach Nelson is a – man, he's a trip. He's a, that, the thing about it is you look back at your life and your career as a coach and you say, man, you got to be a moron to leave Tulsa Union to go be a position coach at Missouri State and take a $15,000 pay cut. And I think about the great kids and the great coaches that we got to work with, and it's just – I don't know. Things have a way of working out. It's just uh, we're in a we're just so lucky to be in the business that we are and have the great friends that we've we've accumulated over the years. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you guys. I enjoy your podcast. I saw the other day that you've hit over five hundred thousand, and that's just that's awesome, man. I just <laughs> that's crazy for you. That's that's super. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.